everybody. It's uh, Joe Diesel here with you. Welcome back to the Half Hour of Power. And today we are going to be discussing Hammer Horror Films. So uh, I think, yeah, I see Jesse is on here. He's going to discuss this uh, too. Jesse, there? I am here, sir. How are you? Great. We're going to be talking about some Hammer Horror Films, so let's just jump right into it because there's a lot there to go with. Um, hey, I'm going to read uh, something from a critic of the time. Uh, about a Hammer horror film. This is from Audrey Fields. She uh, she was a script reader for the BBFC. So uh, let's uh, see what she has to say. The uncouth, uneducated, disgusting, and vulgar style of Mr. Jimmy Sangster cannot quote cannot quite obscure the remnants of a good horror story. Though they do give one the gravest misgivings about treatment. The curse of this thing is the Technicolor blood. Why need vampires be messier eaters than anyone else? Certainly strong cautions should be necessary on shots of blood. And, of course, some of the state work is prohibited. <laughs> she was a great fan of Hammer, as you can tell. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, honestly, reading uh, all her quotes, I would love to read a book. This was all her quotes about every script she read that was by Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be one heck of a book because uh, I know we got a couple more here going on here. But let's look at uh, Hammer Films here. Uh, Hammer Films has a wide-reaching uh, um, influence. Uh, let me uh, ask you, Jesse, what was the first Hammer film you saw? And uh, uh, yeah, the first one I saw was. Uh, Quater Mass of the Pit, which was made in 1967, but I saw as a child uh, late night watching Sammy Terry on Nightmare Theater. Right, Sammy Terry. That's uh, that is actually where I saw my first uh, Hammer film was on Sammy Terry, and my first one that I remember seeing was uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, and uh, Sammy Terry. He's a show all by himself, right there. So. Both of us were introduced to Hammer through Sammy Terry. Or as uh, himself, What's that? Or as himself, I think, Sammy Terry introduced us to. Yeah, exactly. So what were your impressions? It made you want to see more of the Hammer films? Uh, I remember... I was quite young. I was only like five or six. And I remember that uh, one of the main creatures in Quatermass of the Tales was giant grasshoppers. And uh, I just remember seeing that, and I don't know why, but I was I was a little bit frightened of it. I like, and I uh, couldn't finish the entire film. Like, my like, God, they're giant grasshoppers, and they're like. And then my brothers had explained to me what was going on. I that's a really heady movie for a five year old to be watching. Yeah, it is. I've seen that film. I really enjoyed that too. But yeah, I'm a, I don't remember the age I was when I watched uh, Dracula. But uh, I remember my mom sat up and watched it with me, and she fell asleep, actually. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember just the, the music of it and uh, Christopher Lee's performance as Dracula stuck with me quite a bit and made me want to see uh, more, you know, more of him as Dracula and maybe some more Hammer films. But uh, as we touch on a little bit, let's uh, let's see, well, where did Hammer come from? Uh, but we already know they have a wide-reaching uh, influence. Uh, Hammer actually started in uh, 1934. William Hines, who was a comedian and a businessman, he registered his own film company. 
uh, Hines uh, had a partner named uh, Will Hammer. And they uh, actually got together and uh, filmed this up. And without going into too much detail here, we'll just say, uh, yeah, they started right there in the 30s, which uh, I was surprised uh, yeah, looking that up. Like, I hadn't didn't realize they'd been around that long. And that, that's really a long time. Um, and then I, I think you have more to add to that, Jesse. Yeah. Um, during those early years, uh Film, their film story didn't take off until after the uh, Second World War um, when their uh, sons uh, came into the picture, James Carreras and uh, Anthony Hines. And they kind of made the hammer to what we know it as today. Uh, they started off filming uh, crime movies and detective tales, like with Boss Bulldog Drummond, uh, Dick Barton, and characters like that. After about... Ten years of making movies like that, uh, Anthony Hines decided he wanted to make a sci-fi film based on the Quatermass Experiment, which was a BB serial written by Nigel Mill. Uh, that really took off, made them quite a bit of money, so they made another sci-fi film called X the Unknown, which they called it X the Unknown because that really, really tapped into the X rating in Britain at the time, which was kind of like an R rating here now. Uh, the XM film, which was Jimmy Sanchez's first film that he wrote for Hammer, uh, who was one of the most prolific screenwriters. After that, they made Super Mass 2. That made a little bit of a profit. But then they went into uh, making a horror film called Curse of the Frankenstein, which they made in 1957, and that's really where they took off. Oh, yeah, now... Uh... I think we all know this, but uh, who was in uh, Curse of Frankenstein? Um, Peter Cushing, who played Baron von Frankenstein. And then, of course, there was uh, Christopher Lee, who played, I'll say the creature, I won't say the monster, because technically I think in that movie, Baron von Frankenstein is the monster. He's a true evil. <laughs> uh, is he, I think Ralph Bates is in it. I'm not sure if Ralph Bates is in it or not. Um it was directed by Terrence Fisher, written by Jimmy Sankster, and uh, produced by Anthony Hines. Fabulous movie. Fabulous movie. Uh, one of the first movies shot color. Uh, actually, as they shot that in color is because they didn't want to be sued by Universal. Because Universal told them that they didn't have any copyrights of their Frankenstein movie, that they would be uh, sued. What uh, movie... Had quite a uh, nasty little reputation for it. This is a quote from a uh, Campbell Dixon who uh, wrote what we used to the Daily Telegraph. Uh, when the screen gives us severed heads and hands, eyeballs, just in one glass, magnified, and brain bishop like spaghetti, I can only suggest a new certificate. That's point, low point. Perhaps for the status only. Which shows you how. Uh, they really broke through with what they were doing at that at that time. But um, I think even went further. It's probably a little bit more uh, noticeable in the first and in the not curse first time, but the horror of Dracula, which was Christopher Lee's first movie as Dracula, and their first vampire film. What do you think about that, Joe? Oh yeah, I, as you were bringing up, uh, it was the first shot in color. I mean. Uh, us today, for us audiences, you know, when we go back and look at that, it isn't anything to us because we're just so used to seeing that in color. We're so used to having, 
anything showed to us on screen. If if you remember back to, uh, you know, if you could just sort of uh, use your imagination to remember, what would that be like the first time having seen that when all these other films I've seen have been in black and white? You don't really see blood. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do, it's in black and white. And it's a little different seeing it that way. So it really must have been really something for, you know, people to go in there and, see these in color that way and shot in that way and and uh yeah it's exactly what uh you know she was saying you know Audrey was saying with Dracula I hadn't shot one that way you know like that I mean uh the Bella Lugosi Dracula you didn't see him bite anybody uh, it was all cut away you didn't he was staked but it was off screen you know you only heard the sound effect you didn't you didn't see any blood at all in that film and uh yeah you come up to uh the horror of Dracula and uh, you're just seeing Christopher Lee running around, uh, you know, just being very menacing. And, uh, I, you know, I, I love the horror of Dracula, but I think one of my favorite ones is uh, the second one in that series, the uh, Dracula Prince of Darkness. That's a great um, one. Yeah, and, and one of the one of the things that struck me about it, and I think that's why it left such an impression on me when I saw it was so young, was Dracula never speaks in that film. He says no lines. And uh, I was looking this up and uh, getting interviews from Christopher Lee on uh, what it was like for him to play Dracula, what he tried to bring to the character. One of the things he said was when he got the script, he thought all the lines were stupid, so he refused to say <laughs> So then you look up Jimmy Sankster, who wrote the script, and he says he didn't write any lines. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, what are they trying to do there? Were there really no lines? What? You know, I don't know. But what I think really came out of that, at least for me, you know, watching that film was, I think it made Dracula more scary, not saying anything. Yeah, because it made more of a mystery, made him more of an unknown commodity almost, because he never knew what he was going to do because he had no outer monologue or anything like that. He was thinner, you know, and uh, he could do anything at any moment, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Christopher Lee, he he is my favorite Screen Dracula. I, I think he's just done a great job on that. And uh, out of all the portrayals I've seen of Dracula, uh, I, I think he's done the best job. Yeah. Um, I'd say the same with Peter Cushing. He's my favorite Von Helsing, and he's my favorite Von Frankenstein. I can't think of anybody better than him. Oh, yeah. His, his Van Helsing is great. I mean, and who, could, who could forget the ending of the horror of Dracula where uh, – Peter Cushing and uh, Christopher Lee are duking it out there at the very end. And yeah. uh, the energy he has in that, because, uh, you know, he, he runs across the room, jumps at those curtains, pulls those curtains down to get the sunlight on the Dracula. Dracula's yeah. trapped in that beam of sunlight, and it disintegrates his legs, so he can't move. <laughs> so what does Van Helsing do there? He dives across the table. <laughs> and he doesn't just, you know... It's not a nonchalant thing. He dives head first into it like a Pete Rose slide and yeah. grabs these two candlesticks and runs at Dracula and shoves this uh, makeshift cross in his face. It was, uh, <laughs> I just thought that was great. And, you know, Dracula, he can't move. He's got no leg anymore. He's done. <laughs> that is a great ending in a, of a, a movie. And, uh, you know, just to bring up uh, Prince of Darkness again, when they were doing those series, I think they did with Frankenstein movies also. They would normally start the next movie with, like, showing the ending of the uh, previous one one preceding it. 
And, uh, you know, it has that prologue there in Prince of Darkness. And, you know, one of the other things I love so well, much about that Prince of Darkness is uh, Peter Cushing isn't in it. And uh, not, I take nothing away from him, but uh, the guy who uh, took the sort of Peter Cushing role, Andrew Kerr, mm-hmm. he is like this monk. And in the opening of that movie, he's riding around on a horse. He's got a rifle on his back. Yeah, and he comes across these people doing this sort of funeral procession thing, but something off about it because they've got a wooden mallet and a stake. There's this beautiful blonde lady on a, uh, you know, stretcher thing. They're gonna bury her, but they're gonna stake her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he scolds them and berates all those guys. And there's even a priest there, and he tells him something about, "Oh, to have you defrocked? What are you doing, you superstitious fools?" And uh, yeah. It would be funny if he shot at him. I don't remember if he shot at him, but, you know, yeah. they're like, oh, you got to be sure that he's dead. And <laughs> the look on his face is just great because he's like, he's not been around for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, that's weird because you say that's your fa- uh, one of your favorites and it doesn't have Peter Cushing in it. But my favorite Dracula movie in the series is Brides of Dracula, which doesn't have Christopher Lee in it, which is odd because I, I love that ending scene where uh, Peter Cushing kills the vampire by grabbing that windmill. He just yeah. makes it to a cross as the sun hits it, and it hits the vampire, and it makes him, it makes him die. Love that. Love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a uh, – that one's a really good one, too, there. Uh, let's uh, see. what uh, How many fa- films are in the Frankenstein series? Oh, yeah, there are a ton. I think there's about – I want to say seven or eight. Uh <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. here, I got the list right here. You got, uh, these were made between 1959 and 1974. So you had Curse of Frankenstein's first one. You got Revenge of Frankenstein, The Evil Frankenstein, Frankenstein Created Woman, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, The Horror of Frankenstein, and the last one, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Yeah. <laughs> and there's too many uh, Dracula films, though. Yeah, I think there's Satanic Rite. There's Dracula, 1872, Hammer's really influenced a lot of people. They influenced uh, the Italian filmmakers, you know, coming up. They, you know, Mario Bava, Argento, Fulci, all those yeah. guys. They they influenced uh, they influenced American filmmakers. Pretty much today, if you've seen, you know, a Martin Scorsese movie, a Tim Burton movie, a Peter Jackson movie, you've seen a movie influenced by Hammer. Oh yeah, uh, if you've seen a Martin Scorsese film, you've seen a movie inspired by Hammer. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Hey, uh, we're coming up here. Uh, let me uh, bring on, I think this is Jeremy here. Let me bring him up. Is Jeremy there? Hey, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Hey, uh, I'm gonna, we, as you could uh been listening, uh, we've been t- discussing Hammer films, our favorite Hammer films, so I'm going to ask you the question. Uh, what was the first uh, Hammer film you remember seeing? Believe it or not, the first Hammer film I saw was The Horror of Dracula. Oh, okay. It was just like on a Sunday morning. They were watching it on television, and I was just sitting there watching as a kid. 
And, uh, yeah, I mean, what I found uh, most intriguing about it is later on when I read the book was uh, how different it is from the book. Uh, like in the book, Sir Arthur Holmwood is engaged to Lucy uh, Westenra, but in the movie he and Mina are married, and Lucy is the fiancée of uh, John Harker. And, uh, you know, and, of course, uh, when Harker in the book and Mina are married, and uh, Harker dies in the first half of the movie where he survives in the book to the very end, you know, we have all these different... Uh, they just like totally switched the whole thing around and used different characters and yeah, they play fast and loose with it quite a bit in a lot of these adaptations. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, some most of the vampire hunters weren't even in it. Uh, Doctor Seward was pre- uh, Doctor uh, Seward, I mean, was present in it, but I don't recall if he was one of the hunters or not. And uh, poor yeah. Quincy Morris, uh, Quincy Morris, who uh, is nowhere to be seen in any of really of the um, Hammer Horror films, even though he's the one that kills Dracula in the book. Uh, but yeah. I, I think it's Texan. You know, they they kind of have a thing against uh, you know bringing Americans <laughs> into it. <laughs> well, maybe they do. Uh, oh, hey, I see we're up against a break here. Got some time to our sponsors here. We'll return uh, momentarily here. From the fine folks who brought you Crystal Lake Cuties at Elm Street Exotica comes Vampire Girls Gone Wild. We hit Transylvania during spring break and found the craziest, zaniest vampire girls for your pleasure. You thought you've seen vampire girls? Think again. Vampire Girls Gone Wild. Watch as they frolic about and drink blood of the living turn only in 90s. Vampire Girls Gone Wild. Meet the vampire girls and get sucked in by these undead nymphos. Vampire Girls Gone Wild. Warning, Vampire Girls Gone Wild does not contain any images of real vampires, and vampires are undead and have no soul. All vampire girls are impersonated by method actresses. Hey, Joe Diesel back here with you, and we've been uh, talking about uh, Hammer Horror Films, and I think Jeremy is still with us here. Uh, Jeremy, you there? Yep, still here. Can't get rid of me there. Hey, what's up? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about Dracula uh, was the first one you've seen, uh, so uh, I guess obviously that made you want to see more. Oh, yeah. I mean, right after that, I was hooked. I mean, it didn't take much back then to really hook me. I mean, anything is... Long had fangs or some kind of uh, grotesque scar across her face. I, I was there. I was ready for it. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, then right after that, then I started watching uh, the other Dracula movies. Uh, like I just said, Rise of Dracula is a really good one, and uh, Prince of Darkness. And I just actually watched The Satanic Rise of Dracula the other day, and just for the heck of it, it was on YouTube, the entire movie. And I was, even though it's not considered one of the best in the canon, it's still very inventive and very fun. I mean, that's one thing you have to say about Hammer is their movies are fun. Yeah, you just can sit there and just enjoy the uh, beautiful set designs and the costuming and um, just the characters are just really outlandish, really out there and will really hold your attention. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they really did a great job on that set design on a lot of those films. Oh, God, and, uh, great. The best. Yes, Bernie Robinson was the uh, set designer for uh, Hammer. He started with the uh, second Quatermass film, uh, but his real strength was in those Dracula films. I remember one of them had this humongous, uh, intricate floor design, and he did it all on paper and somehow put it across the floor and made it look like it was actual flooring. He is a genius. 
They made every saint count in those movies. They did. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the cinematographer for those movies, uh, one with color, uh, he did a superb job, uh, Jack Asher. Because, I mean, if you look at movies now, if you look at movies back then, they really, really, really tried to bring out as much color as they could because it was so new. So the reds were, like, super red. That's why the blood is so uh, outstanding. Biden. Quest. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, you, what were you saying about the blood? The blood was, they made it as red as possibly they could because that way that would bring it out more in the photography. And because, uh, you know, color wasn't still kind of a, not a big deal then. I mean, it was, it was just now first coming out. And everything. So they're like, we use green lighting. They use a lot of different kind of lighting and stuff like that to bring out the color more. Well, they don't do movies anymore. Yeah, those movies were extremely colorful. I mean, uh, the Technicolor, the Technicolor scopal ones were just awesome. And then, like you said, the blood was about as vibrant. I've never seen blood more vibrant than in the Hammer film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Hey, uh, it looks like uh, we have Mark on here with us. Let's see. Uh... Hey, Mark, hey. You there. How you doing? Hey, Mark. Hey, uh, we're going to hey, talk about guys. Hammer films. I see you've been listening. Uh, well, what do you think about Hammer? What was the first Hammer film you've seen? I saw The Curse of the Werewolf. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, Oliver Reed, okay. Amazing. I I really enjoy it. Uh, amongst the other films that, uh, like The Curse of uh, Frankenstein and and Dracula, they were amazing films. Um, but I think my favorite was The Curse of the Werewolf. I'm partial to werewolves. You know, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mark, you do. Uh, you bring up a good point here. Uh, I mean, we've been focusing on uh, Frankenstein and uh, Dracula, but uh, Hammer's uh, output <laughs> is wide-reaching. And uh, as Jesse mentioned earlier, they they had some uh, uh, adaptations of uh, television and serials that were not horror, but they made their mark with horror. But their their output is uh, very uh, diverse. With you know, yeah. you know, the werewolf movie, you know, we've talked about oh. the quartermass movies. That they're science fiction. They got Viking women and uh, slave girls from Viking yeah, world. Yes, they did my personal favorite um, Sherlock Holmes movie, The Hound of Baskervilles. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. that, yeah that was another one there. And uh, you know, uh, they made that uh, Rockout Welch, uh, One Million Years BC in '66. So yeah, they're yeah. very diverse. So well, I'm glad you brought that movie up. Well, yeah. yes, and and I, I also feel that his some of his recent stuff that he's in the past few years, uh, the production company uh, let me in. That was pretty horrifying, you know. Let me in. Did you ever see? Yeah. It? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you bring I, that up too. Uh, uh, we, we're gonna. Uh, that's a good time to get to it. We're gonna get to uh, Hammer's making a comeback because they've been dormant since. Oh gosh, eighties. Uh, 79. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 1979. 70. I mean, yeah, so they're making a comeback, and the, they have uh, what they're calling here some revival films beginning uh, in 2008. They have uh, Beyond the Rays, uh, Let Me In, which is a remake yeah. of Let the Right One In, which I think that fits right in with uh, Hammer. Uh, and uh, The Resident, and Wakewood, and The Woman in Black, most recently, with uh, Daniel I'm a, Radcliffe. Kind of gaslight. What's that? Gaslight. Just coming so, out. Yeah, they, new yeah they, they've got more things uh, 
coming out later, Gaslight being one of them, also another one called The Quiet Ones. Yeah. And uh, here is listed, I don't know if they're going to make it, but uh, another Woman of Black film, Woman of Black Angels of Death. Wow, but, uh, really? Anyway, they they are making a comeback here. So, yeah, you bring up a good point. Uh, I think it would be great if they made a comeback and was able to make a go of it again because they, yeah. they really are the, they're, they're really a huge influence. You know, I think the, uh, woman, the Woman in Black was a damn good movie. It reminded me a lot of the old Hammer films with the gothic settings and elaborate costumes. I mean, it even had the generally creepy moments in it. Uh, of course, having said that, I found the ending somewhat predictable. And, uh, you know, just because it's gothic horror uh, doesn't necessarily mean it has to, you know, you can't have color in your movie. Uh, the old the old Hammer films, you know, they managed that just fine with the color and everything. But it seems like everything has to be gray and black nowadays. Yeah, and that movie is really, really bleak. Really bleak. Like, yeah, it, it, it is. And uh, it, it might be, uh, and I don't know this, but it might be that uh, they suck the color out because it's called Woman in Black, so they're trying to play up to that. Well, of course, don't blame me, though. I mean, I spent the first half of the film getting over the fact that Daniel Radcliffe was old enough to play a boozy father. I mean, I was like, I remember seeing him in the, in the first Harry Potter film when he wasn't much older than the kid playing his son in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, he, he did. Uh, I was wondering the same thing myself, but uh, I think he turned it a fine performance. He did. He was. I mean, yeah. I mean, I just. It was a very good film. I really enjoyed it. I thought he did a really good job holding our attention in the film. And it had, like I said, it had those great creepy moments, like uh, the scene where he's looking out the window in the rain, and you see the kid come up out of the grave. It's just a very creepy moment. We got a few minutes left here. Let's see uh, if we can each pick our favorite Hammer film. Uh, Jesse, you got a favorite? Uh, my favorite uh, Hammer film is uh, The Devil Rides Out, uh, directed by Terrence Fisher, starring Christopher Lee, written by Richard Matheson, based on a book by Dennis Wheatley. It's a uh, fabulous film about uh, witchcraft. Yeah, that's, that is a great one. Uh, Jeremy, you got a favorite? Oh, The Hound of Baskerville, definitely. But, of course, a follow-up to that would be um, The Vampire Lovers. Um, just, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Jeremy, you, you bring up the uh, second wave of their vampire films beginning in the 70s when they turned towards, uh, uh, let's see, explicit, explicit scenes of lesbianism. Yeah. Uh, as it says here. So there were three of those, uh, Vampire Lovers, that one had Ingrid Pitt in it and uh, Lust for a Vampire, and the last one, uh, Twins of Evil. And uh, those are loosely based on the uh, novella Carmella by, and I, I might say this wrong, J. Sheridan Lee Fennell. Is that right? Right. Sounds right. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah, that's so, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I enjoy Vampire Lovers too. <laughs> Hey, Mark, you got a favorite one, Mark? You're going to go with I, Curse of the Werewolf as your favorite one? I, I'm going to go with Curse of the Werewolf because, interestingly enough, it's uh, it's uh, I I kind of I kind of think a werewolf is an amazing character. I mean, if you think about it, it could you know if you think about it, those are the kind of thing that can you really think it possibly could exist? No. A werewolf? <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course they can. I saw like the uh, Underworld movies. Obviously, they could exist like in, based on that. So. 